Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. chasing something just out of reach. Power, pleasure, success, approval, wealth, wisdom. Solomon obtained all of these, yet at the end of his life, he said, it is only vapor, meaningless, like chasing the wind. But what if there's more to life? What if there's something worth the chase? Good morning. Welcome, everyone. Uh, happy Mother's Day to you all. And uh, if I've not met you, my name is Pastor Lem. I'm the next generation pastor here at CTK. And it's so good to see you all here this morning. Uh, today we continue our series, Chasing the Wind, and we'll be looking at Ecclesiastes 2, but before we do, uh, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me, and let's just ask the Lord to bless our time together. So, Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this place and all that it stands for. Thank you, God, for the freedom that we have to bow our heads and close our eyes and worship and pray and learn about you. So God, thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, for your word and the promises in it. Lord, teach us something new about you and teach us something new about ourselves. And we love you and we thank you for loving us. And we ask all these things in your holy name. Amen. So first, we were encouraged last week by how many of you grabbed one of those pro-apt guides. Uh, the ProApp Guide is a simple tool to help you study the Bible. So for those of you that grabbed it, I, I hope that it was useful for you. I hope that it helped you to study God's Word better. And today, what I want to do is uh, I want to walk you through how I use the guide to prepare my talk today. And so I'm going to just walk you through my, my process. So the P stands for prayer. And then I read, and then I, O stands for observations. I made all these observations. And for my process, the scripture has to sit in me, and it has to simmer and ruin me and change me a little bit 
so that it could be a lived experience. And so I would make these initial observations and then I would continue to work it and I would continue to read and then eventually I was, I, I was able to write, write out some applications. And I prayed about all of this and the T stands for tell. And now I'm gonna tell you what I discovered. So Ecclesiastes 2, chapter 2, Solomon pursues three things, pleasure, wisdom, and toil. And the pursuit of these things helped him to see that it was meaningless, that it was vapor chasing after the wind. Now that word meaningless and vapor chasing after the wind is the Hebrew word havel. Will you turn somebody and say havel? Havel means vapor, vanity, temporary. And the teacher, he, he looks back at his experience and he realizes that it was all havel. So will you turn with me to Ecclesiastes 2 in your Bible or in your app? And you can also look up on the screen for the verses that we do have. So in this first section, in the first 11 verses, Solomon, he pursues pleasure. And here's what he says. I said to myself, come now, I, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be havel, meaningless Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does this pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and, em and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the days of their life. And he starts then to list all of these pleasures and things that he pursued. And he, he learned that it was meaningless. He says in verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was havel, meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And so I made this initial observation. The teacher, he pursued pleasure, and he learned that it was all havel, meaningless. Now, here's, here's the part of the scriptures that I skipped, okay? These are his pleasures that he, that he pursued. He pursued laughter, which he says led to madness. And he pursued wine, and he embraced folly. He built houses for himself and planted vineyards. He made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of trees in them. And then he made a reservoir. Now, you got to remember uh, the, the geographical context for this passage was Jerusalem. Jerusalem was in the desert, and it was not easy to put together a reservoir. But he did it, and he realized that it was all Havel. And he goes on to say, uh, I bought male and female slaves. Now, remember, it's a different historical time. And then he said he owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before him. And as king, he collected taxes and he amassed silver and gold for himself. And then he goes on and he says, he, he had male and female singers. Can you imagine being so stinking rich that you had singers? You know, like he didn't have Siri. He didn't have Alexa. He didn't have like the Google thingamabobber. He was sitting on his lazy boy throne considering what was Havel, and he would turn to his singers and say, sing the Havel song. I can't get no 
satisfaction I can't get no satisfaction and I try and I try and I try and I try I had 700 wives and 300 concubines because he did. <laughs> the next thing that he says, he says, I had a harem, the delight of a man's heart. And it's well known that Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines. You could read about it in 1 Kings. Remember, it was a different time. But 1 Kings eleven thirteen, it says, he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines and his wives led him astray. It goes on to say that his, his wives turned his heart toward other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to God. And because of this, 1 Kings eleven six 6 says that Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he didn't follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. In Ecclesiastes, back to verse, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, the teacher said, I said to myself, I will test you with pleasure and find what is good. This is what he said to himself. And also remember, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He couldn't blame anyone else. It was, it was his wives that led him astray, but it was he who made those bad decisions. He was responsible and he said, after I pursued all this pleasure, that it was havel, meaningless. And there's a futility in chasing after all of these pleasures. And when you face that futility, you'll learn that it is havel. Observation one is this, if you're taking notes. The teacher pursued pleasure, and he owned that. Listen to how he owned it. Verse 10 and 11, it says, I, I denied myself, nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart, no pleasure. When I surveyed everything that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was havel, meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And I try and I try and I try and it's havel. So the teacher pursued pleasure and owned that. Now let's go on to the next section, verses 12 through 16. Solomon also pursues wisdom. Then I thought, then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads and the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. When, you're, when you look at the pro-app principles, you're supposed to look for patterns. And there's this pattern in this little section of scriptures. Wisdom, folly, wisdom, foolishness. And he, he compares wisdom with foolishness uh, keep in mind that Solomon is the wisest man that ever lived, and he realizes that wisdom is better than folly, but the same fate overtakes them both. Like the fool, the, the, the wise too must die, as verse 16 says. 
But there's something that doesn't fit the pattern of wise fool, wise fool. In verse 12, there's this little part that says, you know, the king's successor. What does that have to do with wisdom and folly? And then I thought, I, I, I should pursue this. So the initial observation, I asked these questions. Who, who was King Solomon's successor? What does this whole section on comparing wisdom and folly have to do with the prince that's going to become the king? So I looked it up. The successor's name was Rehoboam. He was Solomon's son. He was the fourth king of Israel. This was the king's successor. Now, we don't have time to get into all of this, so you have to do the study for yourself. But here's a very, very quick version. Rehoboam, he becomes the king after Solomon. And during his reign, the kingdom splits into two. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. If you want to read about it, you can check it out. In 1 Kings, it's the original Game of Thrones. So the initial observation goes something like this. Solomon is the wisest man of all time, and he makes observations about the wise and the fool. And during his son's reign, the kingdom is split. Solomon, he could see that all is going to get lost through his son. And that was meaningless. But then, but then I went back, and I'm like, there's, there's something there. There's something a little bit more that I'm not seeing. And I kept reading, and then I realized... Solomon had 700 wives. He broke the mandate of the law by marrying women from other lands, and he chased after their gods. And even though the kingdom was split in Rehoboam's reign, Solomon's bad decisions were the things that led to that. Solomon made decisions, and that was the reason for the split. So further insight into this thing is that, that, that Solomon was a fool. Look at verse 15. Then I said to myself, this is the teacher talking, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? With a little historical and biblical context, the wisest man to ever live, when he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, he made some huge mistakes which ultimately cost his son his kingdom, here's observation number two, if you're writing it down. Solomon was both wise and a fool. I knew he was the wisest man to ever live because that's what I learned growing up. But if the wisest man also chose to pursue pleasure and do evil in the eyes of the Lord, he was also the biggest fool. He was not only going to pass down his riches and his wealth, he was also going to pass down the evil and the foolishness that he's done. And his successor and his kingdom would pay the price for his foolishness. And he knew it. Then we get to the last section. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 17 to 26. Solomon pursues toil. So I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. I hated all the things that I had toiled under the, for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil, which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is havel, meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. 
For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who's not toiled for it. This too is havel, meaningless and a great misfortune. This whole passage has a new meaning when you realize that Solomon was both the wisest man to ever live and also the biggest fool. Not only does he pass down the wealth and the buildings and all of the riches that he amassed, he also passes down his foolish decisions, which now his son has to bear. Verse 20 says this, my heart began to despair over all of my toilsome labor under the sun. I first thought that his despair was that his son was going to get all of his riches because of his toil, and Rehoboam will get all of those riches. But the despair is because he'll also pass on pain and grief. Solomon not only leaves the good stuff, but he also passes on the evil stuff that he's done in the sight of the Lord, the anxiety and the pain, which leads to observation number three. Solomon passes down the prophet and the pain. Solomon passes down his brokenness and wholeness because we hold both brokenness and wholeness. He realizes that he can't choose to just pass down the good stuff. He also passes down the bad stuff. And then he says, it's grievous to me. He understands that he's made decisions and Solomon has to live with this idea that his son has to bear it alone, which leads to the fourth observation, observation number four. You can't live someone else's life for them. You cannot live someone else's life for them. Whatever you pass down to someone else, whatever gets passed down to you, you have to own your own journey. You cannot, you cannot own someone else's journey. You can't live their life for them. No matter how much my parents wanted to protect me from something, I had to live the reality of it. Now we can guide, we can walk alongside, we can teach, we can model, we can show them wisdom, we can set them up for success, but we cannot live it. We cannot live someone else's life for them. At some point we need to release it, let them live their own life. But it doesn't end here. There's a couple more verses at the end of chapter two. Verse 24 says, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases God, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is havel, meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So back to the, the pro app guide and one of the principles. When you're looking at the passage and you're making observations and you find that the pattern is meaningless, meaningless, vanity, havel, chasing after the wind, meaningless. And then all of a sudden you get to this, this last section and it's the first time where it's not meaningless. This is the first hopeful moment in two chapters where something's not Havel. And in this meaningless life, it's possible to find meaning with God. 
Verse 24 says, this too I see is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat and find enjoyment? So when you eat and find enjoyment, it's from the hand of God. We finally see that it's possible. And here's the big question, like, how do you get there? So when you pursue the thing, life is havel, fleeting, momentary, vapor, meaningless, I can't get no satisfaction. But when you get to the end of meaninglessness, there you can finally experience a meaningful life. The end of Havel, meaninglessness, is where a meaningful life begins. It almost sounds like life is meaningless, you're buried. But then there's a moment when your meaninglessness ends and you enter into a meaningful life and then you're planted. And it happens when I can surrender the outcomes. Think about all the things that the great teacher pursued. He pursued pleasure. He built things. He had women. He sought wisdom. He toiled hard to build his kingdom. And you can't tell me he didn't have some expectations. When you work hard for something, you expect a return. You have outcomes in mind. If I do this, then I'll get this. This is Havel. This is vapor. This is meaningless. Whatever it is that you pursue, it could be justice, it could be career, it could be your retirement, it could be your spouse, it could be wealth, it could be making the world a better place. When your expectations, when your expectations are the reward for your work, that is Havel. But when you begin with this idea that I might give everything that I have to this thing, and I might even understand that it's Havel, and if you can face the, the possibility of futility, then you, can, then you can face the Havel of this thing. Then you can let it go, and then you can start to please God, for God is the one that gives us wisdom and knowledge and happiness. And when you surrender your power, your expectation, your reward, your outcome, that is the beginning of a meaningful life because God is the one that gives you enjoyment and meaning. It happens when I stop pursuing the thing and I start to pursue God. I have this perfect illustration for, for this. Havel, meaningless, vanity. I don't know if you know this, but I... I'm the most vain person that I know. Thank you very much. Now, you might know someone that you think is vain, but I do think that song was written about me. Okay, you guys don't know the song. But I, that, that's how vain I am. <laughs> here's, here's a quick story about my vanity. So over 20 years ago, I got into this car accident. And I hit a car, and my head went through the windshield of my car, and I fractured my forehead and my frontal sinus. It goes your forehead, your nasal cavity, and then there's this plate called the frontal sinus that holds the brain in. And I don't remember much from it. I just remember from the paramedics on. And, it's, and, and at the hospital, it took a while to sort out my injuries. My, my otolaryngologist would run all of these tests, MRIs, CAT scans, and he would tell me about my, my injuries. He would tell me what they were and then what he'd have to do to put me back together. And then finally, he had it all figured out because we did it many times. 
and he told me that my frontal sinus was obliterated. And in order to fix it, he said that he had to take my forehead off in order to clean up in there and put in that, that titanium alloy plate. And he also said that because of the nature of the surgery, that he'd have to put me so far under that I might not wake up from the surgery. And the only thing that I could think about in light of not waking up from the surgery was that if I woke up that I would have a line on my head where there was no hair because he had to take my forehead off. <laughs> so vain. That's all I could think about. In light of wake, not waking up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> now here's the deal. I woke up and I have a lion on my head. I can show you later. Somebody asked after the last service. I'll show it to you. But here's the deal. That happened 20 years and five months ago. And let me tell you this. When you experience something that should have taken your life and you get a second chance and God clearly shows you that he's not done with you yet, you better believe I live a meaningful life now. There's something about facing your mortality that brings you to the end of your vanity. And it helps you to see and experience meaning in your life. Have you ever talked to someone that knew that they only had months or days to live? They live differently after that moment. Their outlook is different. And when you get to the end of yourself and you realize the meaninglessness of pleasure and wisdom and toil, and when you give up the outcome of the work that you do, and when you face your mortality and you begin to pursue God, God will meet you there and give you wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. Can I get an amen? amen. So here are my applications. <laughs> Application number one. You have to own your own journey. Own your journey. You cannot live somebody else's life for them. Solomon couldn't do it for Rehoboam. He owned his journey and his decisions. You just can't do it for somebody else. Now we can learn from Solomon's journey. You can learn from my journey, but you have to walk your own. Now, I can walk alongside you, but you have to walk your own journey. Application number two. Identify what you're pursuing, your expectations, your outcomes, and then release them. Pursue God. Examine your life just like Solomon did. Think through your expectations. Identify your pursuits. Own your outcomes and then release them to pursue God. Pursue God, not the thing. When you pursue the thing, you're buried. But when you can release them and pursue God, then you're planted. Please God, so he's the one that gives you wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. And this is how the teacher Solomon put it. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find, find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? In order to come to the end of a meaningless life, release your expectations and your outcomes. Stop pursuing the thing. When you can understand that it's all Havel, then you can start pursuing God and enter into a meaningful life. Now, the T in Pro Apt 
stands for tell. And here's what I have to tell you. And you'll see this throughout the book. Life is only havel. Life is only meaningless without God. If we can release havel, then we can pursue God. And he's the one that gives us wisdom and knowledge and happiness. Will you pray with me? Lord God, thank you for your word and the promises in it. Thank you, Lord, that you would choose to give us life and life more abundantly, as John 10.10 says. Thank you, Lord, for the promise in this passage where it says that if we pursue you, that you are the one that gives us happiness. So, Lord, as we sing this next song, as we sing through what it means to build my life upon your love, it is a firm foundation. Father, will you help us to identify the things that we pursue? Will you help us to identify the things that keep us buried? And Lord, we want to release them to you and pursue you. And we wait for you, Lord, to give us happiness, knowledge, and wisdom. So Lord, as we stand to sing this song, will you remind us and will you teach us? So stand with us, please. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.